0: Doesn't that ring true for all of us? There I am. I'm there at that time. Wayne said I was a little low last time. Um, Doesn't that ring true? If we were to walk around and say, what does it mean to be humble? What would we all say? Um, hmm, uh, It's something we talk about in the church. We're not exactly sure what it's supposed to mean. Uh, One of the struggles we have when we start talking about humility is our worldview will determine what we think about even the word humble. Um, The way we read Scripture, as Christians, will determine how we... Read the word humble, but what it generally means, no matter your worldview or no matter uh, wh- what you understand about scripture and what it says about humility, is that whatever it is it 's hard, and I don't think that that's me, <laughs> right We all struggle with some level of just defining it, much less living it out and what we've been talking about is Micah six eight where Micah says uh, the most important thing in your life is not uh, that you are performing sacrifices, or that you're showing up at worship services, or that you say that you follow Jesus, but instead he's, he has this incredible verse in Micah 6.8 that says, um, here is what is good, and here is what God wants you to do. He wants you to do justice to love, kindness, or mercy, depending on your translation, and walk humbly with your God. And so these three key phrases we've been talking about, we're going to continue to talk about, and we're going to not only explore what this means, but what does it really mean to live it out. So last couple of weeks we've talked about loving mercy, uh, the reality that there is punishment due and yet it is withheld from us. There were two aspects of mercy we've tried to cover. What does it mean to love mercy? And uh, to love mercy means that we love that we receive mercy. That's easy. We love that we receive mercy. Like I was due that punishment, and and they did not make me uh, pay for that. Or I got a speeding ticket, and they let me off with a warning. Or I should have been fired, but they just gave me a reprimand. And, and so we're we're happy when we receive mercy. To love that type of receiving of mercy is easy. It is normal. It is something that we each love if we if we believe that we are due that. Punishment. But we also talked about loving mercy means when we have received it, that means we will give it to others. Which in and of itself can be a bit of a challenge when we read through Scripture because Scripture talks about not only should we love mercy and not only should we give it to others, but we shouldn't just withhold all punishment because God himself is not going to withhold all punishment. Punishment, and so there's this kind of weird, fuzzy line about do I just let everybody off? I mean, if they, if if somebody kills somebody, should we just say, okay, you know, I'm going to show you mercy? If somebody burns down your house or burns down um, half of the United States, do we just say, okay, just promise you won't do it again? So there's a, a fuzzy, difficult line between loving mercy and showing it and understanding where the place of true biblical accountability should be. And, and one of the things we kind of ended with last week was the reality is if you feel called to show mercy to someone, that is a product of walking with God. But what Jesus told us and what he demonstrated through one particular event with a woman caught in adultery was those who have been forgiven much forgive much or love much, show mercy much. So a depending uh, requirement for us to love mercy is for us to recognize what we have ourselves have been forgiven. Today, we're moving over to the next difficult phrase that Micah has given us. And I want you to remember Micah's is Here at a time when the kingdom has split, Israel has gone into the northern and southern kingdom. Uh, They're terrible leaders. The northern kingdom is eventually going to be overrun by the Assyrians. It's going to completely disappear. That's going to leave all of Israel down to Judah in the southern kingdom, where there's only two tribes that populated that southern kingdom, which is Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Um, And that's it. That's now who Israel is. And the idea that somehow what God wants from you is religious service it's not new. We struggle with that today, but it's not new. It's always been there. And so this is what Micah says. He wants you to love mercy, to walk humbly, and then we're going to talk about last, doing justice. The reality is loving mercy, doing justice, really rely on this one that we're going to be talking about today and next week, and that is walking humbly. So as we do that, this week, what I want to share is just let's just get the basics out of the way. Let's get a basic understanding of what it means to walk humbly, but next week, I really want to spend some time digging in to how do we live that out. Now, most people don't like us to talk about humility. <laughs> it was Dale Earnhardt that first said the first or the um, second place is just the first loser. Have you ever heard that? I think it was made popular by Ricky Bobby, but Dale Earnhardt said it. The second place is just the first loser. Nobody likes to be in second place, right? Nobody likes to be the loser. Nobody likes to be in that place that is somehow less than others. Interestingly, Olympians that come in second place and receive a silver medal are less happy than third place winners who receive a bronze. (laughs) They'd rather come in third place and just be glad they made it or first place to feel like they won rather than come in second place somewhere in the middle. And so they are actually happier in third place than they are in second place. Most of us are not in a place that we like to lose. Does anybody in here like to lose? Yeah. Yeah. It, depending on what it is. Oh, okay, so you could say, yeah, I, I like to be, I like to lose it being the biggest loser. That's not real. Like that's not real. But most of us don't like to lose. We we like to win. We dress so we'll win. We we want to get a better promotion. We want to make sure we're making more than our coworker that we do not like. We want to be the winner. Our neighbor pulls up in a new car. What do we want to do? Oh, it's nice. Oh, I haven't had a new car in a while. You know, even our car commercials will capitalize on that because a lot of our car commercials are, are your neighbor pulls up in a new car, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's a nice new car, but look at what I have. What the commercial's really about. We love to win. We hate to lose. And it feels like that when we start talking about humility, that that means we're going to be a loser. We're going to be weak. We're gonna be someone who doesn't get ahead, or people look at us and they're gonna feel bad for us, like oh, and I'm glad I'm not them. Somehow humility means that we have no standing, we have no value, or or the belief that we have no authority, no confidence, or strength. All are false. So what does it mean to walk humbly with our God? So let's break it down today. We're gonna talk about walk and humble. We talk about walking, when we look through the Old and the New Testament, walking is not simply you and I are going for a walk. It's not just the the aspect of putting one foot in front of the other. In other words, if, if you have lost your ability to walk or never had the ability to walk, then you'll never be able to fulfill this within your own life. Walking in scripture does not mean putting one foot in front of the other, other than what it looks like to walk with God. When you look through that, what we find is in Genesis 5, Enoch was the father of Methuselah. It says that when he was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. And then after he was born, he was in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, 24, walking in close fellowship with God. So the idea of walking is also the idea of relationship, walking with, being with somebody. In other words, think of your best friend. Who is your best friend? You could say you are walking with whoever that person is, your spouse or your kids, your parents, your siblings, so walking is being in close fellowship based on what Genesis 5 says. In Genesis 6, we hear Noah, and it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, can you guess what it says? Walked with God. Now, we are post-Garden of Eden, so we're not talking about God, you know, was in the boat, <laughs> and they got out and they took a stroll on the shore. But instead, there is a close relationship there in genesis 17 even about abram it says when he was 99 years old the lord appeared to abram said to him i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless that i may make my covenant between you and may multiply you greatly his invitation was walk with me this is the same invitation micah is saying that we have is to walk with god which put that into perspective who is the one person in the world you would love to meet that you feel is unapproachable you would love to spend time with them. Is it an athlete? Is it a a celebrity? Is it a politician? Is it a a, a person who does good things around the world? Who who is it? Is it your your favorite artist? That like I would just love to spend an hour with that person, but I don't, I don't think it could ever happen. God is inviting you to do that with Him, and He says it is possible, and I am approachable, and I want you to have this. When we're growing up, we kind of learn the problem of humility based on this idea of walking with people. Those of you who grew up in the popular crowd, I want to ask you to raise your hand who you are, felt pretty good about your standing and who you walked with. Those of you, Malia's raising her hand, we're glad that you're in the popular crowd of first grade right now. I don't know what that means at first grade, like you have the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I, I guess you can't have peanut butter, so it's not that. So I don't know what it is yeah uh but if you were less than then perhaps your status was less than and you felt less than if you got picked on in school boy you began to think maybe this is what it means to be humble i'm forced to be humble yet that is not the picture of humility being picked on Walking with someone means we are walking in close relationship, close fellowship with them. If we were honest and we would say, do I feel like I am walking with God right now, probably many of us would say, I don't know if I would say that. I know who God is. I try to do good things. I I try to be a good person. Am I walking in close fellowship with God? And I think a number of people would ask a simple question, which is, Is that really possible? I think the fact that many of us do struggle with if that's even possible demonstrates how far we've come from what God intended and from what Micah is saying when he says, walk humbly with your God, walk in close fellowship. Micah himself says in chapter 4, verse 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. Hmm. We walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is such a true... True statement. We, we each one of us walks in close fellowship with our God. The question is, who is our God, or what is our God? Is our God our standing? Is our God our position? Is our God our finances? Is our God our religion? What is our God? Tim Keller. He. I. I, I, I love to read his stuff. He's. He's a strict Reformed theologian, which I'm not a Reformed. Um, theologian but he said this your functional God is who you go to when you need peace <laughs> now think about that Like when you're most stressed out where do you do- go to get relief hmm? or creation maybe maybe we go to creation maybe if we go to Netflix maybe we go to a bottle maybe we go to something else? A lot of times we tend to go to peace. To, to get our peace, we tend to go in kind of destructive places that actually don't offer peace, which is the, the really salacious part of sin is that it says, hey, I could give you peace, but it doesn't give you peace. It just makes things worse. What, what he said this week, what Tim Keller said this week was your functional God is where you go when you need peace. Oh, that hit me between the eyes. Where do I go when I need peace? Do I pray? Do I worship? But that's what Micah says, is we each walk with our God. We all do it. But are we walking with the true, one real God? In the New Testament, Jesus talked to walking like this. In in, in John 8, 12, he says, Jesus was speaking to them, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That sense of walking with Jesus means we will not walk in darkness. Darkness. So that close fellowship with him leads us to good places. Do you want to have relationships with people that lead you to good places? See, as Christians, sometimes we struggle with this because we are to be a people that befriend and love all people, right? We we should be the best uh, lovers of humankind on the face of the planet based on what Jesus told us we're supposed to do. But yet, There are times we have to walk away from people because they lead us into darkness regularly. And not the kind that leads to positive growth, but the kind that just keeps you stuck in a place. We struggle with what it means to walk in close fellowship. Jesus says, If you're walking in close fellowship with me, I, I, I will keep you in the light, which does not mean I will keep you from suffering, by the way. It does not mean I will keep you from hardship. What he's saying is, I will keep you where I am and where you need to be. And it will be good, even if circumstances are bad. In 1 John, we looked at 1 John a few weeks or a few months ago. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected by This we may know that we are in him. So here's a good test for us. Uh, Are we in Christ and is Christ in us? Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the idea of walking is not just the idea that we are in close fellowship, but we're actually walking the way that he walks. We're doing the things that he did. So the idea of walking humbly, it, it means that we are in close fellowship and we are demonstrating the same behavior. So that's pretty innocuous. That's pretty neutral. Not really difficult for us to go, okay, that sounds good. But what does it mean to be humble? In the Old Testament, we have a lot of people that demonstrated a struggle to be humble. <laughs> we all struggle for humility. We we joke in our family sometimes, I'm the most humble person I know. You'll get that joke later you think about it, that we struggle with it. I don't really want to be humble. I mean, I want people to go, "Mark's pretty awesome, right? Do you ever feel that way? I want people to go, wow, he's the best at something. I don't really care what that something is. I just want to be the best at something, right? There's a drive in us that makes us want to feel competent, that makes us uh, feel like other people look up to us and think well of us and And we've struggled with that, really, since creation. One of the great stories we we hear in the Old Testament is the story of Jacob and Esau, where Esau is the firstborn, they're twins. Esau comes out, he's supposed to get the inheritance. Jacob is right behind him, he grabs his heel, and he wants to get out before. He wants to pull him back in so he can get out, so he can be the firstborn, because, like, today you're the firstborn, and what does that mean? (laughs) doesn't mean a whole lot. A psychologist will say it means this or that, but but I mean, your firstborn it doesn't really matter. You're pretty much the same standing as the thirdborn. But in the Old Testament, the firstborn is the most blessed. They get the inheritance. They get uh, the whole homestead. They get everything, and they get the blessing of God placed on them and their families. And so it was a big deal to be first. He concocted a great plan in order to beat Esau, in which Esau went out into the field to hunt. He was favored by his dad because he could hunt and he could do great things and, and, and bring in you know all kinds of, of meat and livestock for them to eat. He loved that about Esau. But Jacob was more fair and loved more by his mother, and he could cook and do more things around the house. He didn't have calluses in his hands. He didn't go out hunting and do different things. So he concocted a plan, or his mother concocted a plan with him, in which he would trick Esau to giving up his birthright, which was kind of a legal transaction to say, I'm no longer the first. I'm now second, and now Jacob is first. It led to all kinds of problems for Jacob as he got the blessing and the birthright, and then he spent a good part of his adulthood running from his brother who was going to try to take him out for stealing it from him. In the New Testament, the disciples show us we struggle with this idea of being first or second or Third, we read this in Luke 9, and we can read a couple of places, but in Luke 9 it says, An argument arose among them. I can just imagine this. An argument among the disciples arose. They're arguing with each other of who's better and who's the winner, who's going to be the real winner in life argument rose among them as to which was the greatest, and Jesus knowing the reasoning of their hearts, because this is the story of humanity. You struggle with this. You're going to struggle with this. When you go to school, you're going to struggle with this. When you go to work, you're going to struggle with this. At home, you struggle with this. So he took a child and he put him by his side, and he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now as far as standing and value in the world, a child at this time has little. Like you've got to grow up to, to grow into standing and value and authority. And what Jesus is saying is like this child. This is what you have to be like. You know, those who are least will be the greatest. You know, that's one of the great riddles and mystery of what it means to follow Jesus. The first will be last and the last will be first. But it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout. Charles Spurgeon says this, very encouraging, about walking humbly with your God. He says, walking humbly with your God is a cause for great anxiety. Thanks, Charles. It's encouraging. He would go on to say the problem is that it's way more easy to talk about than it is to do. (laughs) It's easy for us to talk about being humble, even to think that we ourselves are humble, which is just another face of pride, the opposite of humble. It's why we love to judge people. It's why arrogant people have a a mixed place in our heart. We hate them, but we love them. (laughs) At the same time, we love a good villain, right? We love the guy who walks in, chest out, and says, it's all about me. I mean, we hate him, but we love him. Love to watch him on TV and in movies. We love to say, man, you're such a jerk. So we don't have to worry about the darkness in our own hearts and that same bent in our own lives. John Bunyan said this, another very encouraging about being humble he says he that is down needs fear no fall he that is low no pride he that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide now I like the second part of that poem I do not like the first I don't know about you I don't like the whole uh, who is down or who is low I don't want to be down or low does anybody else want to be down or low like there, there are some people that enjoy that. They enjoy the attention that being down and low brings. But most of them, even them, do not actually like being down or low, which is uh, really indicative of where we are right now because so many people are down and low. Like, we're depressed. We're struggling. Our students are struggling. Parents are struggling. Pastors are struggling. Caregivers are struggling are struggling right now the ability to give care to a population that is overall down and low now there are some that are not and they're just loving it life has never been better this if they could remake the world it would be something akin to what we're seeing now but there's not many like that those people are struggling they're down and they're low we don't want to be down or low it doesn't feel good does it if we go get a definition of being humble, this is what it says, having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. In other words, to feel unimportant. Oh, wow. Yes, Jesus, sign me up because I hate feeling important. I want to feel as unimportant and as meaningless and as invisible as possible. And yet that's what some people believe it means to walk humbly with God. A second definition that That you'll find is that humble means to be of low social, administrative, or political rank. Now, Both of these definitions are are true, but they're not really true about biblical humility. Biblical humility takes on a whole different side. And we get it not from understanding culture. We get it from understanding God and the way that God looks at humility. One of the problems is is that we assume that humility means we lack confidence. People who are humble, it does not mean they lack confidence. We assume it means you have no position or rank. There are many humble people that have great authority in the world today. In fact, authority is one thing that is a hallmark of a humble person. You do have a sense of authority in the world. We assume humility means weakness, like you're not good at something and you don't let anybody know you're good at something, but but humility is more an attitude of the heart than it is your ability to be competent in an activity. Next week, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how how are we confident and humble at the same time because I'll tell you, you can't truly be biblically humble unless you are also confident. One of the things I I talked to new business owners, and they want to know how do we get stuff started, one of the things I tell them is you have to exude confidence. Even if you have no idea what you're doing, it's the idea of faking it till you make it, although it is not quite the same. Faking it till you make, you're make you making it does not demonstrate any competency. It just means you're going to pretend. However, there is a part of you that confidence moves people. Because most people feel like they aren't confident. So, if you are and you are confident, you will automatically begin to move the people around you, which is why confidence is so powerful, but used incorrectly is so dangerous. But true godly biblical humility has confidence. True godly biblical humility has authority. Authority being the ability to change things that are meaningful authority not just i'm in charge we know a lot of people who are in charge who are not humble (laughs) it doesn't just mean you have position because we know a lot of people are in position just because they want the position but they're not humble authority means you have the ability to change something that's meaningful and if you're following what it means to walk humbly with god you are going to have authority to change things that are meaningful Our culture's definition of humility, it's, it's a partial picture. It shows us a piece of what they think that it is supposed to look like, but it's not actually what it does look like. It leads us in a place where, you know, especially pushes it on Christians, well, you should be more humble than that, which means in many cases you should shut up, <laughs> right? You should not have an opinion in this. Uh, you should just go over there and worship and sing kumbaya and y'all can just, you know, this fake God that you have, you can just sit over here and do your own little thing while we go on with the real business of the world. That's what culture sees humility, but that's not how God sees it. It's not how God operates. This weakness or lack of authority or Pride in ourselves because look at me. Look what I've done. I'm a self-made person No, you're not a self-made person. I'm not a self-made person Every person has been in my life has had a role in making me what I am today some positive some negative Maybe a hard worker It's amazing what the network that you're exposed to elevates your success and you had nothing to do with that other than you knew the right People. There's a reason that networking is one of the best ways to grow a business is because it introduces you to people that help you along. None of us are truly self-made. We had help along the way. And even if we can't point to an individual that waved a magic wand and made us successful, we can point to the character and personality and skills that we've been able to learn that have been, in, have been given to us by our creator. And that's what our culture wants you to understand, is that walk humbly with God is to essentially walk in weakness. But I want you to know that God has given you great authority. See, your worldview matters. If you believe everyone's basically bad, and you feel good about yourself, then you may actually feel the inclination, I need to feel worse about myself. Because people are bad and... I'm feeling good, which is bad. I should be more humble, so I should feel more bad. I should make myself not in second place, but, like, last place. If we feel like everybody's good and we don't feel good about ourselves, we feel like, oh, something's wrong. I should work harder to be, feel better about myself. I should build up my self-esteem. But I'm not sure that's what God wants me to do or how he wants me to be. Where, where are you? Are you today working on building up your self-esteem? Are you trying to tear it down? Because we could both be on the same journey and both be taking completely different directions. I'm trying to build myself up. Well, I'm trying to tear myself down. God didn't ever really intend for you to live a life of tearing yourself down. He never intended for you to live a life where you walk around going, how terrible am I? I'm the worst of the worst. I hope that means I get the biggest mansion in heaven. Right? Is that what it means? The first will be last and the last will be first? Oh, that's not what it means. Our authority comes from God's authority. We are perpetually second. If we are honest, the number one reason that people reject God is this. We do not want to be perpetually second. We want to be first. You'll remember what was the original sin in the garden. It was pride, but it was a promise, wasn't it? You will be first like God. You don't have to be second to him anymore. You don't have to be subservient to him anymore. You'd be like God. Our authority comes from God's authority. In Genesis one, God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. That's authority. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other words, God created you not with a, a need to be weak or incapable or incompetent, but instead he created you and gave you dominion over all things. We'll talk a little more about this next week. But I want you to imagine that. You were created And you were given a piece of God's authority. Philippians 2 talks a little bit about, so what does it look like to walk in humility? And it says this, again, things begin to get really practical. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, you can... Hold position, power, and authority, and still count others better than yourself. This does not mean you count yourself as you don't matter. It means that you place an importance on other people above elevating yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus walked. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross in other words even jesus himself did not live a life in which he exalted himself as a winner But he humbled himself so that he could serve others you have a question okay okay yeah yeah parent- parenting is a position of authority, and if we treat our kids like they're our servants which i mean there's a there's a part of that part there's a part of growing right there's a part of servant um if our kids don't learn to serve, they tend to learn other worse lessons but yeah treating them like they're there for us rather than we are there to help them to grow. Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely abuse authority no matter what role or position that you are in. Authority is, is something that should be used to change meaningful things in a positive way, clearly, but there are many people that change meaningful things in a negative way. Humility, at least from what Paul is saying in Philippians, and what he's saying about Jesus is, there has to be a place where you elevate other people in your mind in which we are given the ability to make others better than simply use others for our own benefit. There's a part of that that means we make others better. Part of the authority given to them was to oversee the earth, was to make things better than what they already were. Oversee, manage, take care let me, let me run through this. Let's catch up after. So if we're following Jesus, he's saying, listen, here's God. He's the ultimate winner. But he didn't even consider within himself that he was equal. Instead, he made himself a servant. We'll talk more about that next week as well. And we talk about our authority, where it comes from. And as Christians, our authority doesn't come from the ability for us to get in charge of something. It's not our personalities or to politic or to, to work an angle in order for us to be in charge, but it's something that God gives us for a purpose that God has. I have this interesting exchange in John 19 with Pilate. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, take him and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to the law, we ought to be, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Oh, we all have been under this kind of a leader. Don't you understand I can make your life miserable or I can make your life better? That's the kind of person I am, is what Pilate's saying. So this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. In other words, the only authority that you have is the authority that is allowed to you by God. I think this is a good indication that we're in an election season and we're talking about authority that's given by God. It is important that as Christians that we do follow the authority of our leaders to a degree But at the same time, we don't say that every person who is in a position of authority is acting in the way Jesus would. It's important that we make that differentiation. And sometimes the person that we put in a political position is not the person that we would necessarily pastor a church, right? Or vice versa. You want me to run for president? Listen, you think things are bad now. Put me in that role. Things will get worse real fast. What Jesus is saying is you have a position of authority and you only have that position of authority because it's been granted to you. We, we recognize our secondness when we recognize the authority in which we have has been given to us, not because of us. First Peter, he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, if I were to walk up to you and say, I need you to be subject to your elders. Like, my parents say that to me. My mom, especially. You need to be subject to your elders. She, she, she There's one commandment she loves. You can probably guess what it is. heard it all my life. I'm 48 years old. And she still tells me I need to obey my father and my mother. Right? 48 years old. I'm still obeying mom. She still twists my ear. If you don't believe me, ask my family. She still twists my ear. She walks over and twists my ear. Yeah, she's she's a pistol. She's a pistol. You are you who are younger, be subject to the elders. You know, just right that right there. Our culture hates the hates the Bible. Our elders are like boomers, you know. Some of us are not boomers, but our kids have called us boomers, and it's not fun, and it doesn't feel good. I just want you to know that right now. It does not feel good. But in Scripture, your elders are those who have gone and they've lived the life you haven't. They learned a few things, and they may not know how to set their phone, just right. or then, you know, and when, when I was growing up, it was like, Mark, can you program our VCR? I mean, you all don't even know what a VCR is. You know, they're... We, we all have those things. Deidre, you know, in our family, it's like, Deidre, let's sh- show your mom how to do this. You know, what is, a, what is a snap? I don't know what a snap is. You know, so you bear with us on things like that. But in the grand scheme of things, when we all die, if we knew what a snap was, isn't really going to matter. But they've walked in close fellowship with God Longer. I every person who's older has done this. But then when the Scripture talks about an elder, it's talking about someone who has walked with God for a while. Listen to them. Listen to them. I, for us, it's who, who's the youngest and the prettiest and has the most followers. That's who you listen to. In scripture, those who have walked with God the longest, subject yourselves to them because they know what it looks like and they can show you like the ultimate apprenticeship. We sometimes discount our elders. And they've learned a few more things about the world. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. Ooh, that's huff, by the way. Like, let that sink in god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you seeing uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you so here's what i want to wrap up for this week next week we're going to talk about what does it really mean to actually walk humbly because we've just really talked about more concepts today just the ideas of being humble and tried to dispel some terrible myths about what humility is we want to dive a little deeper next week on on what does it mean to walk humbly but for today what i want you to leave with and i want you to consider this week is you you consider your own life your own fellowship with god can it be said about you that you are walking in close fellowship with god walking humbly with god means we have an ongoing relationship with him at at, at our it's very most basic understanding we, we have an ongoing relationship with him Walking humbly with God also means that we exercise the authority that we have from him. We'll talk more about that next week. Did you know that you have been given this authority for a reason? You have an authority granted to you by God. And he wants you to use it for a purpose. Not just to sit in a corner and be afraid to say anything. Walking humbly with God means we follow him wherever he tells us to go because over and over again, when Jesus talks about walking with him, what he's saying is, obey, but I'm telling you. Which is another reason we hate Christianity, because that puts us again, if I'm obeying, I don't want to be the obeyer. I want to be the one who tells others how to obey. Boy, that is, when we talk about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely the seeking of the place to be able to tell other people what we want them to do is a corrupting force. And at times, we as Christians have edged into this sphere where we want to tell people what you're supposed to do. Even people who don't even recognize God at all. Yet we hold them accountable to what we believe. Which is just craziness. Walking humbly with God means we follow him wherever he tells us to go. I hope you'll join me next week. I'm on a journey to walk humbly with God. Every now and then I feel like I get it right. And the rest of the time I feel like I'm asking God to forgive me for not getting it right. I want to encourage you. If you're going to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. Like if you're questioning, we've been talking with the students on Wednesday nights a little bit about what do you really believe? Because what you really believe will determine how you live and what kind of perspective you're going to have in the world. And for kids, for students, there's often a point in which they have a crisis of belief between what mom and dad have told them to believe and what they themselves believe to be true. As you process what do you specifically believe to be true, understand that walking with Jesus means being a servant. And it means following His instructions. That doesn't always feel good when we really want to be the ones who are in charge. I want to encourage you... What do we believe? Do we believe God is trustworthy? Do we believe that following his lead is good? Do we believe that he's given us authority and that we're not just supposed to be these weaklings on the side of the road keeping our opinions to ourselves? What do we really believe about what it looks like to walk with God? Let's go deeper next week. I've got a lot of things I want to share with you next week just to open this conversation up. All right? Let's pray, Father. God, I pray for those in this room that feel that they have no authority whatsoever. They have no position, no standing, no one wants to hear what they have to say, no one believes they have opinion that's worth anything, and yet, God, you have endowed in them your own authority to change things that matter in the world. God, I pray that we would have a a heart, just as Jesus did, especially those who have found success, those who have done things that are notable, uh, that instead of just celebrating that and expecting to be celebrated ourselves, we, we make ourselves a servant to everyone, believing that they are more important than ourselves. Father, I pray that we would be able to demonstrate this in the world around us. In a world where everyone's shouting, few people are listening there's a lot of anger and not a whole lot of of mercy i pray that we would be different i pray that we would show the world in a in a very dark time kind of hope that comes in following jesus father help us to see the path you want us to walk and help us to take the steps that stay in it jesus name we pray amen